Welcome to the Sobriety Sucks Podcast. My name is Gene. I'll be your host. This is a show where we talk about early recovery and how it isn't always so easy. Um, Today I'm sitting down with Brian. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hey everybody, my name is Brian. I'm an addict. Um, You want to tell a little bit of your story? Yeah, for sure. Starting my clean date is uh, January 12, 2018. That's the uh, last day I I used drugs and um, it's also the day that I got uh, arrested, so we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, I could remember, you know, from a really early age, you know, wanting to wanting to fit in, right? Wanting to um, basically just, you know, have friends, people that loved me for who I was, because I started at a really early age noticing I didn't really love myself, and you know, I constantly got picked on when I was younger for being bigger. You know, my 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 dad. That was one of his things. He would tell me, "Is like, you know, you're, you're not this, or you're not good enough, or whatever." So I had that kind of thought ingrained in me. So I kind of started seeking outside sources to make me feel whole, right? So that was kind of the start. So I started smoking weed when I was uh, 13, about 12 or 13 years old. My first time smoking weed. I really enjoyed it because it made me laugh. It made me get you get the munchies and just have a really good time, you know. And after that moment, I was like hooked, right? So it was just like, you know, I can't. I constantly feel the pain of what I'm dealing with at home, but this takes me outside myself to feel good. You know, this is something that that to me feels good. You know, I can use to to help with my pain, right? So started smoking weed, going to school, high. My, my friends that I had at the time, you know, we started, you know, stealing drinks from their parents and all kinds of different things like that. And this is in, you know, late middle school, early high school. And again, wanting to fit in whatever friends I had to um, to make to, to fit in, to be that cool kid or, or whatever, I, I did. You know, I made him. So I just continued on that path, really. And uh, eventually, you know, as high school progressed, the types of drugs I was using progressed. You know, I moved into to using cocaine and, and experimented with pills, you know, psychedelics. I later then found out a way, because I've always been really good with, with sales, I, I later then found a way to basically, you know, make a profit off of these things. I started selling drugs when I was in high school. Started off with just, you know, weed and, and pills and stuff. and. Uh, eventually, you know, it, it really it really took a toll on me, you know, just wanting to be like socially acceptable, like having money and being that cool kid and just having all kinds of different, you know, people like me based on like what society wants me to be. I always had that thought ingrained in me, even to this day. I kept doing what I was doing. I kept selling drugs, using drugs as I got out of out of high school, barely. I barely graduated because I was constantly skipping classes to go get high. I was, um, you know, just living, having the life at the house. I actually ended up running away from home a couple times. I ended up graduating, man, and it was it was a good deal there. You know, after I graduated, you know, things things got a little bit worse as far as selling and using drugs. Um, the amounts I was selling got bigger. The uh, types of drugs I was using became more and more, you know, just continued, man, that path of destruction I was on. On my graduation day, I moved out of my parents' house, like literally on my graduation day. My sister, who is a huge, huge influence in my life, and she's my half-sister on my father's side, so she actually knew my father 
and lived with him and experienced his craziness like before I did. So she knew what I was going through. I ended up pretty much plotting with her to like move out literally on my graduation day. So like the day before my graduation, I ended up packing all my stuff in trash bags and like stayed in a hotel with my, my sister. And then literally like on my graduation day, I told my parents like, look, you know, I'm not gonna deal with this anymore. Like I'm not gonna deal with your abuse. I'm not gonna deal with any of that. Like I'm, I'm moving out and you know, I don't, I don't really ever want to talk to you guys again. So I moved out of my house, man. On like, I got my diploma, and literally, my sister was in the car, ready to to drive me to Virginia Beach from Woodbridge, and that's what happened. You know, and I ended up living with her for a little while, until uh, you know she started figuring out that you know what I was doing as far as using and selling drugs. She ended up kicking me out of her house because she she saw it becoming a problem and. She actually called the cops on me, you know, to, to get me removed from the house. So I basically, I was kind of homeless for a couple of weeks. You know, I was couch hopping different friends and stuff and ended up, you know, finding, finding one friend who at that time I was really big into like religion and stuff. I was big into going to church and, and um, leading youth groups and stuff like that uh, in Virginia Beach. I ended up um, moving in with him and he happened to be a, uh, a uh, police officer in Norfolk. So he let me move in. I lived there for a couple years, you know, still on that path of destruction, still using every day, multiple times a day, still selling the drugs. Meanwhile, you know, selling drugs was only like a part-time job for me, right? So I had, I had a job working at, for a cigar company in a cigar shop. Um, I was going to school full-time. I was, I think I was working in a couple other jobs, like I've worked at Top Golf, a couple other different jobs. So I was always staying busy, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I managed to go to go to college and receive my associate's degree with all the using and everything like that. But I mean, I did it. Um, I guess at that point, my life wasn't unmanageable quite yet. But later, it took a real toll. Through the insanity of this disease. I continued even after I've, you know, I had a, a couple close calls with selling and, and using drugs. I continued to do it. You know, I continued to sell them in, in mass quantities. You know, the, like I said earlier, the amounts got bigger, the drugs got harder. I was selling drugs out of this, this guy's house, you know, that just took me in and uh, who is a cop himself you know, because that's a smart idea. So I was selling these drugs and he eventually caught on to what was going on. Basically told his parents who, who were my landlords what was going on and he had me removed from, from the house. And um, again, luckily I had some money saved up so I um, ended up getting my own place. Got a place with two other roommates. Basically I made my own trap house essentially because um, you know nobody could stop me. I, I felt invincible. Because uh, I had money and and essentially a, a sense of power, a false sense of control uh, for my drug use and for everything else. My first time getting caught up, I got caught up with about three pounds of weed. Basically, got a slap on the wrist that time. I went to jail for that night, but I ended up getting bonded out through the insanity of this disease we call addiction. I mean, I still thought I was invincible. I didn't care, you know. I. I had I was I wanted to reach that point of social acceptability. You know, I wanted to reach that point where I had all the money, I had all the women, I had, 
you know, whatever I needed. And it was, it was fast, you know, it was that fast life as they call it. I loved it. So I kept doing what I was doing, you know, even after getting caught up that time, like that didn't really scare me at all. So continued doing what I was doing and, you know, the types of drugs I was using got worse too. Like I started experimenting with a lot more pills and some other stuff as well. Alcohol got worse. It just, it took a real, real toll downhill pretty quick. You know, I started feeling like I just didn't care anymore. I stopped, I got started getting fired from jobs because I would either not show up or be late. Or one time they actually, the job I worked at with the cigar store, I worked there for almost four years and uh, they started catching on what was going on. Essentially they fired me because they thought I was stealing from the company, but really, uh, I think they they knew what was going on. I was selling out of out of their premises, and uh, I got fired from multiple jobs. I was also pursuing my uh, degree, my my bachelor's degree, after I got my associates. And like one one or one or two semesters right before I got my bachelor's degree, I ended up dropping out because I was so caught up in the lifestyle of of selling and using drugs. You know, so I had really like good opportunities ahead of me if I were to finish school. You know, for what I wanted to do. I was going to school to uh, get a psychology degree and you know I wanted to eventually work with people you know because I, I had been through a lot of abuse and stuff like that so I wanted to help other people you know with my experiences and um, that's what I was trying to go to school for. I ended up staying in this new new place and still doing what I was doing even after getting caught up. Five days before my court date for that first offense I got set up from a guy that I had worked with his mom at UPS at the time. I was working at UPS and ended up getting set up for a large amount. And I went to go make the sale with him. And, you know, sure, sure enough, I had three unmarked cop cars behind me. This was five days before the court day of my first offense. I knew I was, I was pretty much screwed then. So at that point, I just didn't care anymore. I was like, well, here we go. I'm, I'm fucked. I had, a, I had, a few pounds of weed on me. I can't remember how ma- how many exactly, but I had a few pounds of weed on me. I had some pills, had some clonopins, and when I got pulled over, I didn't want to get in trouble for our, for the pills that I had, so I ended up chugging those, probably about 15 to 20 pills. Um, I ended up going to jail that night, and obviously I didn't get bonded out because you know how close it was to the court date and all this other stuff. So I spent my first probably about week and a half to two weeks in uh, jail and in detox and I was detoxing off of benzos that was a shitty experience Um, because in jail they don't essentially they don't give you on a taper or they don't you know I mean you don't get you don't get fancy Gatorade or anything like that to detox they just pretty much put you butt-ass naked in a jumper with you know 12 other dudes in a cell and uh, you basically just kind of white knuckle it I don't remember my first couple weeks in jail because I was detoxing, but I knew that I was basically fucked. I had no other outlet. I pretty much burnt my bridges, like with my sister, some of my friends. Yeah, I was pretty much screwed. So as I as I stayed in jail for a little bit, I started reaching out, and finally people saw the severity of what was going on. My sister finally was able to answer the phone. I just pretty much begged and pleaded her to get me out of the situation you know I had a lawyer that I knew through working at the cigar store 
he uh, he charged me a, a fairly hefty amount to uh, work with my case because I had two felony possessions with intents to distribute. And they wanted to get me for trafficking, but they didn't find anything when they went back to my house and everything. So they wanted to charge me with more. So I was facing some 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 jail time, you know. So I ended up doing some, some days in jail, just realizing that I really did have a problem. You know, you, in jail you have nothing but time to think and mull over what, you know, what you're doing and what's going on. And I did. So I got into, I started getting into like meditation and like writing, writing about my thoughts and, and like yoga and, you know, trying to do what I can to, to kind of learn about myself and like what, what went wrong. And I did, you know, I started figuring out. So in a sense, like the jail experience for me was, was a good experience. It kind of opened that door to where I'm at now in, our, you know, in recovery. I ended up getting out of jail. The, the higher power, which I choose to call God, basically was was there for sure. Because the judge I was supposed to see for my court hearing, usually like any kind of drug charges, he is like he hammers down on those. But apparently that day that I was supposed to go get heard in court, there was another judge, a junior judge, that was seeing my case. My lawyer had worked out with. Um, the courts to basically let me go and I would get time served basically just move those um, possessions with the, with intent down to just misdemeanor possession charges of marijuana you know by the grace of God man that's what happened so I did like 60 something days in jail I got time served I didn't get any probation that was just a blessing I don't believe in coincidences the insanity of this disease, as I got out of jail, my first thought was, man, I can't wait to get out of jail so I can roll the blunt and smoke smoke some weed and forget about all this shit and just put this past me. I'm not going to sell drugs anymore. I'm just going to try and use successfully and uh, just try and try and control my using. Um, well, at that point, I knew that it was a, it was a problem, like a serious, serious problem. Um, Luckily, I didn't use when I got out of jail, but my sister, who was letting me stay on her couch basically until I figured something out, um, I, st- I got out of jail for about a week, and first place I was thinking about with her, and we talked it over, is going to rehab. And uh, we ended up stumbling upon uh, the Mount Regis Center in uh, Roanoke, and I ended up going to rehab there. That's kind of where I started this whole process of, of recovery, man. That's where I got introduced to a 12-step method of, of uh, recovery and 12-step groups. It's um, where I learned about a lot of like mental illnesses that I uh, affiliated with, codependency, anxiety, all kinds of different things like that, which uh, is that all at the root of, of the disease of addiction. You know, I learned, I learned in rehab that the... Uh, drugs that I was using were only a symptom of the overall disease of addiction and that's that kind of struck a chord for me because I thought you know I mean I don't want to be a freaking addict like I'm not I'm not some like needle user or like I'm not smoking crack I'm not doing these kind of things like I was trying to compare compare my disease to other people's disease which I later learned like that's that's not the way to do it man anything that I get 
that takes me outside of, of this whole thing of recovery, of, of identifying as an addict, is the disease itself trying to separate me from the disease. I heard a really good like metaphor that, that's always stuck with me. Um, like as an addict, I'm, I'm like a refrigerator full of good spiritual food that I can you know use to help feed whoever, you know, feed people. And when I'm not plugged into you know, a day-by-day recovery, um, or like my 12-step groups or meetings, whatever, if I'm not plugged into those things, I'll eventually rot from the inside. That's, that's always stuck with me, man. So I try to try to stay plugged into my network today. Like I try to, you know, hit something for recovery every day, whether it's calling another addict or, you know, just working on my steps, that kind of thing. Uh, I do some service service work for my community and stuff, and that really helps me get outside myself in a positive way. It's it's really worked out, but it all kind of started at Mount Regis, and um, I really am grateful for them to you know kind of show me all that stuff. Got a little over 17 months clean, and I, I lived in, I live in my own place. Got a couple roommates. Like I got a car today. Got my license back. I know more about myself than I ever have before today, you know, and that's the only way I got to that point was through like working these steps that they talk about. There's other people that see something in me that give them hope, you know, I I like I have what's called a sponsor, I, you know, and I actually have people that have asked me to sponsor them, like, who would have thought like me? I would have never thought I was good enough to be anything of that that benefited somebody else. And it's 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 been a crazy ride, man. This whole process has been a crazy ride. Like the only way I learned how to do it is 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 like they say, you know, one day at a time. You know, because for me, I like to as an addict, I like to obsess and compulse over things, and uh, I can I can easily do that with my future, right? trying to fit into that mold of social acceptability of, of my future. Like I want to have, you know, this grade A job, this grade A girlfriend, you know, I want to make this, this amount of large money and, and be acceptable in society. Well, for me, that's like, that's a day by day process. You know, I could get to that if I really work at it, but if I'm just so fixated about it in the future, then, you know, it's, it's not going to come like naturally, you know? So I found it a lot easier to just live day by day, you know, live in the moment and be mindful of like what's going on right now, not try to control anything, you know. Like step one, it talks about power, being powerless over alcohol or addiction and my life, like our lives became unmanageable. That's exactly where I was at, you know, my life became unmanageable. I didn't want to, to like surrender to to the disease of addiction because like I'm a dude man like in society we're told not to surrender to shit you know I say don't like don't let them see you sweat you know don't surrender to anything like but as I surrendered to it man it's it just became a lot easier to like identify with it and it's cool to like that there's other people in this process that you know you can relate to and talk to about this kind of stuff it's it's definitely I mean, it's brought me to where I am today, man. I'm really grateful for it. So, When talking about being able to relate to people within the program, that's something that has been extremely beneficial to me. Mm-hmm. And I can relate to a lot of things that you spoke about in your story. You know, um, I actually caught a couple charges during that time. I felt the same way. You know, I was in- invincible. And I came out of those with slaps on the wrist. Like, 
got a restricted license for six months both times. And I was lucky enough that the second charge I got, they didn't even write as subsequent. They wrote it as a first offense mm. on paperwork. So I have two first offenses. It's like you can't get any more lucky than that. I just felt like I was invincible, and I kept doing the same thing over and over and over again until it led to me failing a drug test and nearly losing my job, a job that I've worked for for a long time to get to where I'm at. And I basically was trying to throw that away. You know, the destructive nature of the disease, it's just a path of chaos and you don't see it when you're in the thralls of it. You know, you just, you see that selfishness and and how you can benefit yourself. And the only thing that you want is whatever it is that you're using and you don't see the consequences. Like now I have two charges on my record, even though I'm clean, that doesn't matter. The charges are still there, you know? And that's one of those things that like, it constantly bothers me that like I allowed it to get that far. And there were other things that went wrong too, but that's just one of them. Something else that you spoke about was like living in the moment. That's, that's something I've always struggled with. You know, I'm a father now, so I'm constantly thinking about his future as well as my own. Mm. And sometimes I get too caught up in what I want for him, you know, the, the forever home, the decent, like the new car that I want now that I can give to him, you know, and all all of that stuff. And I get so wrapped up in it that I'm working 60, 65 hour weeks. And by the end of the week, like that paycheck's really nice and I pay my bills and things are good other than the fact that I haven't spent any time with my son that whole week. It's hard. It's hard for me to get out of myself enough to be like, I need to maybe not work so much, you know, maybe I can wait another year, another two years to get one of those things I feel like I could achieve now, just to enjoy what's in front of me right now. You know, if I'm too concerned about getting this house, you know, we're in a house, we're renting and it's small, and it's not the best house in the world, but it's a roof. And he has his own bedroom. And it's like, it's not like we're necessarily struggling. Mm -hmm. But I'm so sometimes I get so concerned with like, I need to provide a home for him to grow up in. It's like, wait a year, wait two years. We can move when he's five. But if you spend all your time working, you're not going to be able to enjoy the time that you have with him now. And that's something that I struggle with a lot, especially now that I can see in retrospect, how much time I lost with him because of my active addiction, like constantly putting using in front of him. And that's part of the disease, you know, like they talk about mothers who can put drugs in front of their ch- their children and it seems so taboo but like I have experience with that it's not hard to do when you're deep into addiction like that when you're far down the scale nothing matters mm-hmm. not your family not your friends not your job all of that shit gets put second to whatever it is that you're using and it's terrible to think about that one of the things that got talked about a lot in treatment from my own personal story there were a couple of times where I was so deep into my use that I had left my son sleeping in his bed and locked the door and left the house and got what I needed to come back and use it while he was asleep at the time you know I'm like he'll be fine he's asleep the door's locked like what's gonna happen but fucking anything could have happened and to think that I had gotten that far down the scale just 
makes me it makes me sad and of course filled with regret and shame but grateful that I have found recovery that I have that I found a way to to not use and still live and it was something that was that took me a long time to get to you know you talked about going into treatment and you wanted to manage your using, I felt the exact same way. Like I had almost lost my job, but they didn't fire me. Mm-hmm. Um, they suspended me and I got to come back and I'm like, all right, well, I just can't smoke weed anymore. And now I'm just drinking every day. And then my wife starts saying things like, if you don't quit drinking, you know, I don't know if I can be around you anymore. And of course in my head, I'm like, she's just talking shit to make me stop drinking. So I kept drinking and not talking to her about it and like just trying to hide it from her and then finally it got to a point where she was like you have to do something or I'm going to leave you and that was what kicked me in the ass to get to treatment but once I got there I'm doing that same thing you were talking about like comparing myself I'm like you know I've never put a needle in my arm I've I've never done this I've never done that but at the end of the day that doesn't matter I was doing everything in my power to alter my mind and that was where the issue lies and a lot of things came up for me as well as far as codependency anxiety and depression and and I had turned using into a coping mechanism but in the end it was only causing me more anxiety depression and and just overall a terrible way of life that I chose to ignore I chose to ignore all the negative aspects of it and it wasn't until I was about a week into treatment that I was like this is ex- this is where I need to be this is what I need to be doing yeah. and I went uh, when I got into treatment I was detoxing and all I could think about was how excited I was to get out of treatment and everybody would be so happy about me going through treatment that I could start using again and I'll be like I'll be able to use I'll be able to manage it I'll just use less you know that was my whole mindset because I was so sick and I'm like insanity yeah and and then I'm so grateful that that light switch flipped for me that I was in such a good treatment center that taught me so much that as soon as I was there, because I was only supposed to be there for 14 days, and after a week, I was like, I need to be here for a month. Mm -hmm. And that month changed my life. Yeah. And, you know, I'm glad glad you're doing what you're doing now, man. Like, you know, it's... um it's it's funny you kind of touched on it man and like that was what i was talking about earlier about you know being about comparison you know it's like they say like comparison is a thief thief of joy right so i didn't really understand that too much until i lived it right so when i started comparing myself to others you know based upon like what I was talking about earlier about social acceptability like you know well this guy has his driving a Maserati has a nice house and and whatnot he looks like he's happy you know it's again it goes back to that you know finding something outside of myself to make me feel whole you know and and when I compare and and whatnot it sends me in a downward spiral of just trying to trying to do that you know I'm setting I'm setting an unrealistic expectation for myself it's it's it kind of goes along with what you're talking about about you know being a father when I put these unrealistic expectations on myself and they're not met eventually that's going to turn into a resentment and that's something I've learned in this process is um, like I, I learned about 
some of the reasons like like I was talking about earlier about you know the drugs being the the symptom of the overall disease of addiction I was using because of the hurt and pain and and all that I felt about you know the unrealistic unrealistic expectations I had for my parents you know I wanted to have normal parents right I wanted to have parents that loved me and uh, and cared about me and stuff like that and I had those in a sense but my expectations weren't getting met, therefore the resentment started to dwell. You know, the resentment started to form and I used behind that resentment. You know, I dealt with the with the pain of, of the stuff I dealt with, the physical, mental, emotional abuse through using. You know, I was trying to mask that pain. But see, today is a little bit different. You know, through through working some steps and through this process of recovery, I learned that the only thing that can combat a resentment is acceptance. Right. So acceptance that, you know, all that crap that happened in the past that I may feel feel some guilt and shame for none of that shit matters. You know, if I accept it for the fact that I was sick then, you know, but that doesn't that doesn't take away from what I'm doing now. You know, if I if I let it dwell, it's just going to continue to be to be a resentment. So if I just accept it for what it is and surrender to it, then it doesn't have power over me. If I if I'm if I verbalize it out loud that I'm trying to do something better for my life, I'm surrendering it, and it's I'm I'm essentially I'm powerless, and it doesn't have power over me anymore. Something I I kind of heard you talking about was like you know you having those expectations of that you want to be a great dad to your son, and you're doing that, dude. Like day by day, one day at a time, you're doing that by making that amends to yourself, to society. You're you're staying clean. You're doing the right thing. That's all good. You know what I mean? Like I try today. I try not to set too many expectations on myself because I know that it will form that resentment if those you know things aren't met. If I do the next right thing and you know just follow that good order, good orderly direction, then I'm gonna be okay one day at a time. Yeah, just for today. And like you said, being a good father to my son um i'm living that every day and and it took me it took me a couple months outside of treatment to 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 realize that like i felt like i had so much work to do to make up for what i had done before but after after being in the program for a while going to 12-step meetings and talking especially talking with other fathers who are going through similar situations it made me realize that I am compensating for those things I used to do by doing what I'm doing now, like working the program and staying clean. Because in the end, I'm going to be the father I want to be as long as I focus on continuing to keep myself straight. If I at all vary away from worrying about staying clean and like staying in the program, then I'm inevitably going to fuck up as a father. As long as I continue to work the program, get into step work and do what I'm supposed to do as a recovering addict, Mm -hmm. the good father part comes with that, you know, And, and it also allows me the time to do things with my son. Like today we went to a baseball game and I've never done that before. (laughs) And so like, it was, it was cool for us to just go do that. He hated it. It was super humid and he cried the whole time, but it was something that I got to take my son to do. It's those little things that I'm going to be able to do now because I never did them before. And I struggled a lot with comparison as a father too, not just with my drug use, but as a father, I'm like, okay, here's a friend of mine who we're close to the same age. He's got a kid that's like six months younger than me, but he doesn't struggle with, you know, addiction. He he has a good job. He's paying his bills. He drew, he's got a car that's paid off. And that was and 
I compared myself to that all the time because I'm like, I'm struggling to like make enough money to feed myself and him and, and like all this other bullshit that I let cloud my mind. Mm. And then I would go and spend money on drugs about it. Mm. But now that I've stayed in recovery, stayed in the program, continued to do what I'm supposed to do in recovery, I have more money now. I was always comparing myself to somebody else who I thought had more than me Mm. and not taking into account what I did have. One of the things that they made me do in treatment, um, and they probably did for you too, was make a gratitude list. Every night you write down five things that you're thankful for. And my counselor said, you can't repeat anything. Mm. So every night I had to come up with five different things that I'm grateful for. And there is so much self-reflection in that. Because, you know, you get over the whole, like, I'm clean. I went to a meeting today. That stuff, if you can't repeat it, gets done real quick. And then you got to do a lot of, you know, looking inside yourself to things about yourself that you're grateful for. Yeah. And a couple of those things that started coming up was the fact, not that I'm a good father, but that I'm a dedicated father. Yeah. And I, I never saw that at first until I started working on recovery. And I'm like, the things I would be willing to do for that child made me realize how dedicated I am to him and myself. And that was, that was really eye opening for me to come to that realization and stop having to compare myself to another father. It's like, as long as I do what I'm supposed to do, my son's going to have a great life because I'm more than willing to give up whatever I have to, to do whatever I have to, to make sure that he has the life he deserves. But I never, I never came to that realization or had that thought until I started getting into recovery. So continuing my recovery is what's going to make me that good father. Yeah. It's funny, man. You get, you get some, some days clean and you know, you do a little bit of work on yourself and you start to kind of see things in a whole nother perspective perspective and you get a whole like new sense of awareness. Dude, I'm so like grateful for that, dude. Like I getting more and more awareness each day as I work on myself is, is just, it's beautiful. You know, and, you know, talking about the gratitude list, that's something I did in treatment. And then later on, I worked my first step with my sponsor and he had me do the same thing. And that's what I do for my sponsees is I have them write a gratitude list, you know, just to start off on their step one. Um, Because it talks about like, you know, a grateful addict won't use again. You know, if if you're overwhelmed with gratitude, you know, then you won't have too many reasons to use because you have all this stuff. You're you're in a sense of security. You're good. Like I have a roof over my head. I got food in the refrigerator. Yeah, maybe ramen, but it's something. You know, there's people out there that don't got shit. And I'm glad you brought that up too. I wanted to ask you not only having somebody or not only being somebody who has gotten the sponsor and worked mm-hmm. some steps, mm-hmm. but somebody who is sponsoring mm-hmm. other addicts. Tell me. Tell me about how that process has affected you. Like, how did you go about asking somebody to be your sponsor? And then how did you feel when someone approached you to do the same? Um, So when I went about it, so my sponsorship experience, I actually had a sponsor when I got out of treatment that um, he was celebrating 23 years. um, And I ended up approaching him because... I saw I saw some things in him that I wanted for myself, and that's usually what I looked for in a sponsor, is um, somebody who's got some significant amount of clean time, who's who's either worked the whole twelve steps or is working the steps, you know, adamantly. Just like different things, like he, you know, I, he shared about stuff like he was a good father, like he, you know, has a great job, stuff like that, and that's all stuff I wanted. So I saw that saw that in him, and I wanted that. So. I asked him, I had that spiritual connection with him and I asked him to be my sponsor. 
Um, it later turned to uh, not work out because we had two different lives and you know our lives were, were a little too busy and I wasn't really getting what I needed out of out of the sponsorship relationship so I ended up asking somebody else and actually I broke up with that sponsor through text and I, I still feel a little bad about it but he, he still like loves me you know and he told me that straight up he's like I still love you the same everything's good you know what I mean just if you still ever need anything please call you know and that's that's cool so I got I got a new sponsor man and he's he's definitely you know I see a lot of things in him that I want for myself and and again man it's 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 a sponsor is not somebody that you know is overall like a guru or anything like that that's gonna like you're like a therapist or anything like that it's just somebody that guided me through the 12 steps ultimately and the 12 steps for me have been you know what has helped me through this process of that self-awareness self-acceptance everything going back to what you asked about when people ask me to sponsor them man that gives me a sense of hope you know it really does like I I would never in a million years thought that you know somebody saw something in me that that they thought you know they saw hope in you know I thought I was just another another addict that did some did some fucked up stuff and you know I'm trying to work on on myself and stuff but they see something in me that they want you know whatever that is and it's it's a blessing when I uh when somebody asks me like hey you know you think you can guide me through this process because I mean it's we can't do this thing alone and that's something I had I had a really like twisted idea of is that like like I was saying I, I'm a smart guy you know I thought I could outsmart the program work it on my own but I find that that's never gonna work you know um, the more and more I think I can work on it on my own the more and more I think I can control things about it or and try to change it it just doesn't work out yeah it's pretty cool man I really like you know the guys I sponsor or you know, doing what they're supposed to do and and stuff like that and and it's 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 beautiful man well that's good and uh one thing that you mentioned i wanted to come back to because um i actually have some experience with this as well that i don't know how to approach it and so maybe other people will also i had gotten a sponsor right out of treatment he had actually spoken at a meeting while i was in treatment and i approached him that night um, for the same thing, he had something that I wanted. He, we were close to age. He had a couple years of clean time. He had worked the steps. Those things that you look for in a sponsor. And I was like, this this will work out. So I went and talked to him. He was really open about it, like really liked the idea. I got in contact with him right when I got out of treatment. Things were going good. Um, we were meeting once a week. He was texting me every day. He wanted to start work on the steps. And then... As our relationship continued on and as time started to pass, he just wasn't, he wasn't what I needed. He was less focused on the step work, more wanted to just get me through it. And um, I needed somebody who's going to really, really help me understand what I'm doing. Um, I don't have a lot of clean time. I don't have a lot of experience with recovery. Um, this is, this whole go round is like my first try at this you know and uh so i needed somebody who's really willing to sit down with me and it just hasn't worked out and i'm struggling with how to end that relationship you know i've i've switched from one fellowship to the other also and so i want to find a sponsor in that fellowship but i don't really know how to go about like you said breaking up (laughs) with with the sponsor i have right now i mean we haven't spoken in like three weeks Mm -hmm. and 
of course, that's not something I wanted to sponsor. Mm-hmm. So how, if you were in a situation like that, which you explained that you were, mm-hmm. what was going through your mind? Like, how did you think would be the best way to approach, like ending a relationship with a sponsor? Um, I mean, ultimately the disease of addiction is a disease, you know? Um, and it's something, something we struggle with every day. It's like, it's like being sick in a sense, right? Well, the way I looked at it is I've been to doctors, you know, that I don't particularly care for, for their advice, or, you know, maybe I don't agree with their advice, so I go and find another doctor, you know? The willingness to do that is really what, what stems in me to, to do, like the willingness to get better and to continue this process of recovery is what drove me to make that decision of, you know, breaking up, quote unquote, with my sponsor. Um, and it, like I said, it wasn't anything because like he was a bad person or like anything like that. It's just our times weren't connecting, you know, and um, if it were me, I would just just be straight up, you know, and just just basically kind of pull the bandaid off and just say, look, for what I what I know to fit me and what's best for me in my recovery is to, you know, find another one, you know, I'm kind of I'm sorry, it didn't work out. I still love you and stuff like that. And as a sponsor, they, I'm sure with the amount of clean time they have and experience they have with this kind of thing, they're they're you know going to be totally okay with that. You know, they're not going to judge you or, or or feel make you feel guilty or anything like that. At least that's just in my experience. Like I said, the sponsor I, my first sponsor I had, he still loves me. I still see him, and um, you know he's he's still there for me if I ever needed it. He's still somebody in my network. Um, but the current sponsor I have now is what I needed. You know, I, I'm, he makes me he makes me stay accountable, um, and it it just worked out. You know what I mean? I wouldn't I wouldn't sweat it too much. Well, I appreciate that advice yeah. too, because you know I feel like, um, especially in my experience, getting into the program itself can be an uncomfortable thing. Mm-hmm. You know, really nerve wracking because. In reality, it is it is a fellowship. Everybody is there to spread hope and and love, and like it's a judgment free zone. Mm-hmm. Anytime you're dealing with recovery at all, but at the same time, like getting over that fact or that idea is mm-hmm. a difficult thing. And I had I struggle with that a lot, like starting to open up in mm-hmm. in meetings and and going to different meetings and stuff, and finding the one that I felt most comfortable at. And then once I did that was when things started to click for me as far as that goes, you know, like I started to realize, okay, these, you know, these people give a shit because they've all lived it, you know, and they all needed that one person or, you know, that network of people. And so they know they give back and that's something that I really appreciated. But in the end, sometimes it can be uncomfortable and I I appreciate you sharing your experiences with that because I'm sure that there are other people out there that also feel uncomfortable in certain situations like Mm -hmm. that but like you said I feel like everybody is you know out there to help there's nobody within the program that is there to you know be mean (laughs) or like or judge you or or not be there for you and um so I agree and I think that I'm gonna I'm gonna take your advice and just kind of rip that band-aid off yeah man I mean it says it says in you know in our in our 12-step group like the three things that are indispensable are honesty open-mindedness and willingness man and um if I'm honest with myself that I have an issue and I want to do something about it there and lies the open-mindedness that something else could work outside of myself you know being the 12-step program whatever 
Um, and then the willingness comes after that, the willingness to continue to do something different and the willingness to continue to work on yourself. That all comes in time, man. And it's, it's a process, you know, that is something I got stuck on early on is like, man, I want to just finish this stuff and like, and be done, you know, well, you're never done with this stuff. You know what I mean? It's a process. It's a lifelong process and we live it at one day at a time, you know? So yeah, man, but I'm, I hope everything works well for you with that. Well, I do appreciate that, and uh, I definitely want to congratulate you, man, coming Thanks, up on man. 18 months, yeah, dude, man. cake and appreciate a half. It. That's big shit. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. I wouldn't be here without the program, for sure, and without the God of my understanding. So. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Well, I really I really appreciate you, you know, sitting down with me and having this conversation. Mm-hmm. And I want to say, too, to anybody listening, I'm sitting in front of a man that can really show that the program works. Mm-hmm. Find a meeting, get a sponsor, work the steps, and and you can have recovery, too. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's just a matter of, like you said, having that willingness to surrender and and you know put the shit down and and find a better life Mm -hmm. because i i'm finding it every day and sitting in front of somebody like you brian that's got got that amount of clean time gives me hope you know that humbled by that appreciate that yeah and uh and you should give yourself more credit dude you're you're doing a lot of work and it and it shows i can see thanks. what i can see what people see in you that they want thanks man i really do appreciate that dude well listeners subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and uh, we'll be hollering at you in a couple weeks <laughs>